Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And I'm Maddie Cassidy. And today we're talking all things salmon with the Salmon Man. We had <laughs> the Sam Man. <laughs> the Sam Man. Enter the Sam Man. Um, <laughs> we sat down with Chris Bartlett, who's a BAP certification specialist here at GAA, and he is kind of the guru of all things salmon. He only focuses on salmon facilities. He helps get them through the BAP certification process, and he's traveled to a bunch of these places. He's he, His world is salmon, at least when it comes to work. I don't know about outside work, but he's a really smart guy. He's a wealth of knowledge, just a walking encyclopedia. And I'm really glad that he decided to come and sit down with us because he's a good friend of ours and, you know, learned a lot of stuff. So before we get into that, though, I want to remind everyone to contact us if you have something to say at podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. Follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. Or leave us a voicemail at one six zero three three eight four three five six zero. Yeah, we've had a couple calls come in recently that we've had some really cool conversations that started with that. So make sure you take advantage of that. Maddie, you got something for us. Yes, I do. You should definitely follow us on Twitter because each week we're doing a poll about seafood or just about the podcast in general. And this week's poll was which type of fish do you prefer eating? And the options were... Marine fish, freshwater fish, shellfish, or other. And there was a pretty clear winner, surprisingly. So marine fish got 76% of the votes on this poll. And then shellfish came in second with 14%, freshwater fish at 5%, and other at 5%. So thanks to everyone who participated. Did anybody comment on uh Yes, someone commented and they said marine and fresh fish. Ah, non-exclusive. I like it. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) So make sure to follow us on Twitter and participate in the polls because there are going to be more coming your way. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. And um, that's going to start helping us kind of decide what we want to talk about more depending on what you guys are interested in. So keep an eye out for that. One reminder, this episode, uh, Maddie was not available to interview Chris with us. So it's going to be just me and Justin Sorry about that. It's boys but, only episode. Yeah, it's it's all boys all the time today. Uh, so me, Justin, and Chris sit down for quite a while. I hope you guys like it. Hope you learned something, and we'll talk to you later. See ya. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Aquademia podcast. First of all, thank you so much. If you're listening to this episode, that means that you're a member of GAA. We appreciate your support, and we want to thank you again. Please make sure that you subscribe to Aquademia on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you listen. And please don't forget to rate and give us a review. So we have a special guest today. If you're all our guests are special. All our guests are special. But we actually have someone that was hired right around the same time as me. So me and this fellow go go back quite a ways. Uh, we're talking with Chris Bartlett today. Chris, say hi. Hello. <laughs> Chris is a BAP certification specialist here at GAA. Can you 
just kind of give us all the basics, what you do, a rundown of, of your, your job. Well, my name is Chris Bartlett. I'm a BAP certification specialist. I focus primarily on marine salmon producers around the world. So most of the business that I work with is Canada, Chile, and Australia and New Zealand, with a little bit in Scotland at this time. Have you been to any of those places? I've made it to Santiago, Chile, and I've made it to St. John and St. George in Canada. So Chris is our resident salmon expert in the office. He knows, you know more than anyone here <laughs> in, in regards to the practices that these salmon producers should be taking to make sure that they're being sustainable and everything. Right? You're, you're the go-to man for that. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to oversell myself. I, <laughs> you can toot your horn. Toot, toot. <laughs> no, um, yeah, I'm, I'm immersed in it. I, I pick things up. He's the salmon man. So Chris actually has a really cool story on how he got here because you have an interesting, your past careers are interesting. Can you give us a little kind of quick summary of where you came from and what you were doing beforehand <laughs> and how you got here? Um, well, I, I actually grew up in uh, rural New Hampshire. After I graduated, I joined the uh, United States Air Force. For that, I had done electronic maintenance, actually, uh, air traffic control and landing systems. So a lot of the stuff that kind of works at the air traffic control towers, radio systems, that sort of thing. After a stint with that, I joined the Air National Guard where I did uh, radar maintenance. So similar but different. It's kind of ranging stuff. Um, and then from there, I'd kind of gone into, the, into university where I'd studied environmental science and policy with a focus on community. And then after that, I'd kind of found my way here. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> it's just you're just go all you're all over the place it's awesome so obviously we're here to talk about seafood that's what we do and like i said chris and myself were hired at the same time we both had similar jobs and then he went into doing all salmon stuff and i moved over to education eventually you ended up with salmon because no one wanted it right yeah pretty much i was low <laughs> i was low man on the totem pole salmon. at that time <laughs> salmon is no. because of its life cycle and I mean, what are some of the reasons it's so complicated compared to some of the other species that we certify, that BAP certifies? I think it just poses some unique challenges because it's really the only major aquaculture species that's grown in public waters. And mm. that kind of creates um, it creates some unique concerns and uh, function of the production. So for a lot of our business, it's kind of static land-based facilities or at least, you know. Ponds the farm, are always Yeah, the farm's always there. For a, a salmon farm, really, it's a tract of ocean bottom, and then they install cages into that area. And a lot of these companies have hundreds of leases. They may only utilize you know, 20, 40, something like that in a year, but they have a lot of them around the areas. So I don't think people, I mean, some of our listeners might not have any idea what a salmon farm is like. If I was to go to, you, because you've been to these salmon farms, you've been to some of them. If I was to go to one of these salmon farms that has open water net pens or like the big cages, like what do you see when you go there? How do you get there too? Are you <laughs> yeah. are you swimming out to these or are you <laughs> I mean, No. They're not are they close to the shore? Like uh curious. Paint a picture for me. They're somewhat close to the shore. Most of the existing technology requires them to be somewhat sheltered. 
So these are going to be in inlets or somewhere around an island or something where they're sheltered from kind of strong ocean currents, storms, that sort of thing. To get to the actual farm site, you're going to have to take a boat out. There's kind of two types of cage assemblies. You've got steel cages, which are going to have kind of walkways around them so you can get up close to them. That was actually something I was going to ask yeah. if you can, if there's an area that you can kind of set up base camp while you're out there. And yeah, so the steel ones, you, you, you can. You can get up close to them as his walkways. People can kind of walk along the cages and so on. The polar circles, which are more like uh, they're PVC or like a plastic. They're almost plastic. Uh, well, they are plastic hollow pipes. They get mold, get bent and fused together. So they they may have foam, I think, or... You know, I'm not exactly sure if it's just air or if there's foam that they put in there as well. Probably foam. For, so if, for buoyancy. Yes. So, yeah. Those cages you can't get so close up on without actually taking a boat out to the cage and then having to get off and kind of scale around the side of them. For those, you'd be probably on the feed barge or uh, sometimes they'll have a land-based facility as well. It depends on the, the sighting. So I, I can't consider myself a salmon expert, but I do know about some of the topics I read about in the news, one of which, which I'm sure you're familiar with, are escapes. And you were talking about plastic. So when I hear the word plastic, that kind of scares me a little bit. It's like, well, you know, farm salmon are escaping. That's kind of scary, but maybe we shouldn't be building cages in plastic because they're not as durable. Is that false? I would think so, actually. Most of the escapes that I'm familiar with have actually been on the steel cages. Hmm. The polar circles, I think, just they're a little more flexible. They can kind of give. They get a little bend. bit of give. So yeah. if they get hit with some some Storm really bad stormy weather, like they can kind of go with the flow as opposed to something that's so rigid and will just snap. Yeah, or it'll kind of, it pulls more on the anchors, which then it may start to list a little bit and that can cause stress on the structure, which may break welds or something along those lines. And that's one of the biggest concerns in aquaculture, these fish escapes. I know there's even concern like with inland ponds of like shrimp escaping. So like, people are really afraid of that. Like, yeah, I I understand the concerns. It, it seems a little over in some ways because I don't know if people are so concerned with terrestrial agriculture with escapes of animals, but mm. uh, maybe it's slightly different because there's not really any wild cows running around yeah. still. But uh, I suppose they solved the uh, escape scenario. <laughs> I suppose if my goats escape, they could find other goats and crossbreed. I don't know. Or, esta or, esta or establish wild goat populations. Right. Yeah, probably not. But that's that's what people are afraid of with this with the fish, and that makes sense. I mean, that's a lot more plausible with when you get hundreds of thousands. I mean, how many fish escape from from those? When you if you get a fish escape, how many? Well, it can really range from you know a handful to a few hundred to. Uh, potentially, you know, 100,000 would be the max that may be in one cage at a time. So if you, you get 100,000 fish escaping into the wild, I, I understand the fear behind not so much establishing a new population, but screwing with the local ecosystem that's already established. I get that. But what do you think in regards to, from your point of view, from the, as a salmon man, a salmon. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing the industry, and not just aquaculture, like the seafood industry that you that you've seen and experienced? The seafood industry specifically, I would say it's public perception. Honestly, hmm. I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there around aquaculture, and the unknown can be scary. The opaque can also be scary. So people may not understand the supply chain for the food. They may not understand what a farm really is and i think that that leads to maybe some knee-jerk reactions mm. it's the classic bad press seems to stick in people's minds more than good press yeah people are 
definitely attracted to negative stories, I guess. Stories that say that, you know, you get genetically modified fish that, you know, if they escape, they'll take over the world is going to be, that's a whole lot sexier than saying like, Farm salmon has a two percent higher level of omega threes or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, those negative headlines are definitely more sexy. Yeah. Do you ever have any conversations with any of your clients? Or I imagine that we all have to do this. We all have to kind of defend our industry quite a bit <laughs> when we talk to family and friends and everything. But do you ever have any conversations about like aquaculture and wild caught in regards to salmon, like, or versus wild caught? <laughs> yeah. You know, cause it, it's, you see it more with, I mean, you don't see people saying, if you're going to eat tilapia, make sure you eat wild caught tilapia, make sure you eat wild caught, you know, shrimp. shrimp. Like you don't yep. see that as much, but with salmon, it's, that's what people say. They say, don't buy farm salmon, only eat wild caught salmon or only eat farm salmon from Norway or, you know. Yeah, I actually have a specific example that I'm thinking of. My other half's father, actually, he kept forgetting what I did for work and something had come up on farm salmon and he had brought up to avoid farm salmon because it's an inflammatory and that wild salmon's an anti-inflammatory, but farm salmon is an inflammatory. Uh, just, just in general. Yeah, it was just it was just it was just a story he had read or partially heard somewhere or it may have been repeated to him and in the absence of any other information he had just accepted it as as fact. Now, I had, I was curious and I hadn't heard this at the time. So, I've never heard that either. So I didn't really know how to That's a new one. how to approach it. So I This I'd, is not real people. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I, I had looked it up, and uh, I'm paraphrasing, and the details are a little fuzzy, so I could be a little off on some of them. But there was a story about a study looking at uh, EPA to DHA fatty acids mm -hmm. in farm salmon versus wild salmon. Now, in some of the farm salmon, the ratios were were different. They were slightly more like some other foods, and basically the the premise of the paper was that since these fatty acid ratios were different, that this might make this farm salmon more of an inflammatory. What was the difference? Do you remember? I don't remember the exact metrics, but I think the important thing to keep in mind also with this is fatty acid levels in wild fish or farm fish, they're all based on the food, the feed that yeah, the, fish what the fish consumes. So we're not really talking like set metrics. In that study, there was that, and there was a tenuous possible link to maybe being an inflammatory or less beneficial. And of course that's what but, sticks out in people's minds, yeah, right? But it's it really depends on what the wild fish eat for feed, which can vary depending on where the population lives, what species it is, etc., compared to what the farm fish eat, which not all feeds are created equally. There's a lot of different feed producers out there. You can Right, but in the wild, I mean, you don't no one has control over what they're eating. They could be eating trash. They could be eating fish that are full of mercury. Like, I don't know, they eat krill, but they could, you know, there's no control over their diet, so it's can you really say that it's better since so much of their nutrition comes from what they eat? I, uh, and then, and the farm <laughs> fish that they had tested, I but think I got it as wild yeah. salmon eat trash. But that's not, no, I'm not saying no, that. I'm, I'm just, just, no. just saying, I mean, I, I've had wild salmon. I've had farm salmon. It's all delicious. But I just, I've heard that argument too is, well, you're, you know, they're giving them food that's not adequate or whatever. So they're not getting the nutrition. It's like, yeah, but you have no control over what they eat when they're in the wild. So here we are. <laughs> that leaves us nowhere. 
Yeah, I had a conversation with a couple people. I was dropping my daughter off at school, and they're like, "Oh, what do you?" I used to work at the at the school where my daughter works, and uh, they're asking me what I did. Works at a school. So I asked, I, just, I told I told them, you know, I'm in the aquaculture business and I asked them the simple question of, you know, do you prefer or, or what is better? What is better to you um, in your mind? Wild caught salmon or farmed salmon? And without hesitation, in unison, all four of them pretty much said wild caught. And I was like, well, why? And tried to have them just because it is. Because uh, it's better. Be, just, yeah, because. Someone told me once that it's better. <laughs> now, seafood, as long as they're eating seafood, I'm. I'm happy, but I, I feel like we need to educate. It proved that we need to do some more education and get people on a even playing field to make wise decisions on if they truly want to choose wild over farmed or farmed over wild. Right, and I'll say this. The mission of this podcast that we talk about all the time is to get people to eat more seafood. It's Correct. not yes. to pick sides. We don't. We're not saying that aquaculture is better than wild caught right now. We're not saying that wild caught's better than aquaculture. It, there are some fisheries that are more sustainable, and it's a better choice in some cases to actually choose wild caught for different species, but it's the other way around too. Sometimes a better choice is farmed. So we're not taking a stance either way. Just want to have these conversations to get people thinking about both sides and not be so stuck on, we have to eat wild caught because all the fish farmers are out to get us, and that fish is horrible. It's just not true, so... Just trying to enlighten that, um, but Chris, you—I mean, your world is in aquaculture. You don't work with wild-caught fish right now. No, I—I I enjoy wild or farmed farm salmon, though. My I'm, favorite. I'm thing, an equal opportunity carnivore. <laughs> my favorite thing about farmed salmon is this rumor that it's died. <laughs> I was listening to another podcast. I'm not going to call it out. It's one of my favorite podcasts that I subscribe to, and I normally take everything they say to heart, and I. It's just these guys are smarter than me, so I believe everything they say, except they were doing one episode on myths about food, and it was about the Salmo fan. You, you know what the Salmo fan is, right? So it's like a swatch pad for salmon coloring. Like if you're choosing paint, but yeah, so salmon. <laughs> basically, it's a, it's a color quality test example. Like, you know, you hold it up to the flesh of the salmon, and then you compare what the color is if you're within a range that you're going for. It's going to come full circle. But basically on this podcast, they were, quote, you can't see my air quotes, but they were, quote, clearing up these myths by explaining the truth behind food producers. And they said that they have this thing called the Salmo fan. And basically you go to salmon farms and you look at the Salmo fan and you choose what color salmon you want and they dye your salmon that color. And then that's <laughs> what you get to put in your stores or to sell at your market, which is just so false. <laughs> it's not what it's for. That coloring in farmed salmon is not like an injected dye. That coloring comes from a pigment called astaxanthin, which is the red-orange pigment in shellfish. It's it's actually an antioxidant. Right? It's in the beta-carotene family. You can actually get astaxanthin supplements as a person, too. And then turn your skin orange. <laughs> well, I think it'd turn your meat orange. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, but that's the whole thing. I mean, wild salmon are pink because, or red, or, you know, whatever. This, mm. Different species can vary to, in colors, but they get that coloration from eating krill when they're out in the ocean and they're growing. They eat krill and the, the astaxanthin in that krill, that pigment goes into their flesh. And so people who are developing feeds for salmon 
farms just add that pigment into the feed. It's just another component that's naturally found in their diet, so they just put it in their artificial diet, and then they turn pink. Yeah, I, I think part of that misunderstanding might be a, a retail company could say that they want a darker pigmentation, and the farmer could feed more astaxanthin feed to and then that selectively crop. choose yeah, yeah yeah so i didn't think about that angle but that's they they portrayed it as here's your options you choose it and we'll dye it whatever you need and that's that's not how it works yeah the, the misnomers the dye part it's really a it's a dietary additive that causes pigmentation yeah. it, it's like carrots if you eat too many carrots you know you may start to take on an orange tint. yes that it, happened to my sister when mm, she was little yeah it's, it's the same way with astaxanthin. You eat a bunch of astaxanthin as a salmon and you get pinkish. You get darker. You get more pigment the more you consume. But it is a natural. It's part of their natural diet and it's part of their artificial diet. It's the exact same component. Yeah, I mean, some of the feed additives may be from natural sources. Some may be a synthetic. But it's the same as vitamin C. You may take vitamin C supplements and those are synthetic vitamin C. You may get some that are from rose hips that it's are natural. Still vitamin C. Correct. This is what yeah. people need to realize that something that just because something is synthetic or it's created by man does not mean that it's unnatural or it's going to give them superpowers or, you know, like that it's bad for them. It's the exact same thing. We just happen to make it instead of take it from something. I just think that that's the one thing that I always bring up. That's my, my go-to for when people are like, oh, I only eat wild caught fish because aquaculture fish is so bad. And then I'm like, well, let me explain something to you just so people to get people thinking about, yeah, okay, maybe some of the information I have is not a hundred percent accurate and backed up. What about taste? <laughs> well, is there a difference? I think. Do you eat salmon? You like salmon? I, I do actually like. Because I know there's people who work in the seafood industry who actually don't prefer to eat much seafood. I'm, I'm a big fan of trying to find fish from from uh, producers that I work with to try the fish as well. Like, I, I find that a, a neat connection from the job. It can be difficult sometimes because it's just sometimes hard. Well, to Well, it gets out. passed through so many hands too. Yeah. And you work directly with the people who are literally growing the fish, and then it might go from there to a buyer, to a distributor, to another distributor, to a retailer who then changes the packaging and... Yeah. Back to flavor, though. uh, Yeah, I I think all fish tends to have a little bit different flavoring and a lot of it is it's it's it, again it's going to be feed dependent to a certain extent but then it's going to also be kind of the species of salmon because a lot of your wild salmon's not what you're going to get because uh atlantic salmon is primarily what you're going to find for farm salmon and you're going to be hard pressed to find that for wild caught salmon. has it been overfished in the past is that um the reason for that or uh well i i don't want to go down that road because i I think it's a complicated series of, you know, environmental pressures, probably to some extent overfishing at one point in history. It's just that the species itself isn't doing very well, so there's not a lot of fishing on it. I think you can maybe get a little bit in Scotland, but most places they're not fishing it still. What are they native to? Uh, well, the Obviously Atlantic. Atlantic yeah, North Atlantic. North so Atlantic. you would have native populations around Norway, uh Scotland, Ireland, uh, Bay of Fundy over by Canada. What about North, uh, yeah, so I was going to say yeah. North America. Yeah. So there's a lot of West Coast salmon farms. What are they farming? <laughs> well, they're actually farming primarily Atlantic salmon because that's, that's the first salmon that started to get domesticated for farming. So it tends to perform the best. It's also, I think, what the market tends to like. People like the flavor of Atlantic salmon. When they think of eating salmon, that's, that's what they're thinking of. 
whether they know it or not, right? Like the stereotypical salmon meal is usually Atlantic salmon. Yeah, for farmed especially. Yeah. I mean, maybe okay. they're thinking like sockeye, maybe for wild because that's out there a lot because you, you get that darker kind of red. Like people try to compare the two to each other directly as well, which is because they're a completely different genus. Even um, most of the Pacific salmon, that's all Uncorhynchus, and then the Atlantic salmon, Samo, mm-hmm. for the genus. It's they're very far off genetically. Hmm. So people might not realize that, um, speaking of Ankarinkas, that trout and salmon are like super duper closely related. Yeah, actually, uh, the Chileans, if they raise uh, rainbow trout, which is Ankarinkas micus, in uh, marine cages, and they they like to refer to it as salmon trout. In the salmon trout on the west coast of the U.S. <laughs> okay. and Canada, we tend to call it uh, steelhead, steelhead, or would call it steelhead. Because rainbow trout can also survive in salt water as easily as they can fresh water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then a fun fact: group of fish called salmonids that can they start out in fresh water, then they move out to salt water, and then they go back in. That's why you see all the videos of salmon swimming upstreams because they're coming back from the ocean back to where they were first hatched out of their eggs to breed. So they start in fresh water, go to salt water, and come back. Although they don't actually have to. They don't have to go to the salt water. They can be raised entirely in fresh water, in tanks on land. You don't see a lot of salmon being raised that way, though. Mostly trout is going to be raised that way in raceways or, yeah. or tanks. I think the flavor wouldn't necessarily be as good. I think there's something about marine water that develops a better flavor. Well, it's part of, I mean, that's in the wild, that is their natural cycle mm-hmm. is to go out into the ocean for these salmon. Mm-hmm. So. Um, whereas trout might just stay in a one stream, or right? I don't, I don't know too much about the life cycle. Yeah, of trout, I think to be honest, yeah, trout. I think there are there are some populations that were totally freshwater, <clears throat> and there were certain ones like I think the Columbia River had some native steelhead runs that would go out to sea and then come back. I've, I'm not an expert on that, so I this is just little things I've heard and picked up. Yeah, Justin's our resident trout expert. <laughs> I like to fish for for trout. You don't eat a lot of salmon, right? I like salmon, but I won't go down that road. I do like the taste, but I'm not a fan of having to pick out bones. When I eat, I like to eat and not think about eating. Where are you getting your salmon that has <laughs> bones in it? Seattle. When I was a little kid, my relatives out there, and we would they would maybe that's how my uncle prepared it. I will you know, say it was a big fillet, and he's like, "Watch out for bones." And I was like, "Well, I don't." I, I will say that I don't. When I have salmon, I don't usually get pin bones. Um, is that not a thing? Did I just make that up? A lot yeah. of freshwater, anytime I've had any type of freshwater species, I get a lot of pin bones. I was um, really young. So maybe maybe, was, maybe you were having trout? Maybe. That wasn't trout. They were tossing that giant fish around. Well, you, you mm. could you could get it with with bones in it, but most markets now, like you, you go to you go to any of the retail stores around here, you find a fresh salmon fillet, there's not going to be bones in it. They pin bone that. They they remove the dark meat down the center because most customers don't like the aesthetics of it. They they really trim everything up. And When I say picking yeah. out bones, too, it might have been just one, and that was enough for me when I was When you're a like, kid, one, yeah, when you're one a kid, pin bone like, goes a long way. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, well, I have to be careful every bite I take moving forward. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to stay away from this. But I do like the taste. I do not enjoy the taste of trout as much because it has more of a... It's a little fishy more taste. fishy, oily. It's all on how you prepare it, and I don't know how to prepare it very well. I haven't eaten a lot of trout either. Trout's a little drier too because it's a little leaner fish usually. I you, think yeah. you eat a lot of fish, right? You you're a big uh, yeah, off and on in spurts. You like to cook. Chris really likes to cook too. He always talks about some of the meals that he's made, and I'm always like, I had chicken fingers. <laughs> <laughs> I go through phases with that too. <laughs> Cooking's relaxing sometimes. It's just a nice kind of simple. So task when you can... go out, because you 
eat a lot of different things, especially when it comes to seafood. Chris brought Kipper snacks in for breakfast one day. Hey, smoke throwing herring. it out there. Smoked herring is delicious. <laughs> for breakfast in the work microwave, throwing it out there. Take it as you will. You eat. You have a more diverse palate, I will say, for for fish. When you go grocery shopping, what do you look for? What are you drawn to? What is it? What would help you make that decision of yes, I'm going to buy this, or no, I'm not going to buy that. Because for me, it's like, this is on sale, and I know I like it, so I'm going to buy it, which is something I'm trying to get better about. But I know that people who do have a more mature palate and, and know kind of the differences in flavors and different, and have more knowledge based around that, I'm interested to see kind of what your process is when you're shopping for food. Well, I might disappoint you. It's not that complicated. Price points. Uh, That's important. not disappointing. That Pr- gives me hope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> price points important to me too. When I go shopping, a lot mm-hmm. of times is what's on. If it's a decent price, you know, what's on sale. I do sometimes if I can find a good deal on something that I haven't eaten that much or prepared that much, I'll, I'll get that just cause I like the variety, but usually it's, it's what's economical. Yeah, but you're. I'm guessing that if something is on sale and you've never had before, you wouldn't hesitate to try it. No, probably not. Mm-hmm. As long as it's, as long as it's at least close to something I know how to prepare. Right and reasonably priced. <clears throat> you probably wouldn't experiment on something that was overly pricey. Well, yeah, if it was like you know twelve bucks a pound. Well, maybe twelve. I mean, it depends on what it is. I mean, that's a pound of fish can go quite a ways in a meal. Yeah, that's true. Fish is pretty light. Does fish? shrink like beef when you cook it uh, probably depends on how much you cook it i i for me i for salmon i normally do it kind of medium rare mm-hmm. i know in the states it's it, it's interesting because other other countries they they tend to do fish or salmon kind of like they do steak you can get it medium rare or however you want Same it with tuna. For the most. Like if you get a tuna uh, steak though yeah in the states it seems to be a little at least around here in new england if i go and try to order a medium rare salmon filet they just kind of they look, look at, at you me. sideways yeah. yeah they're like what are you what is wrong with you <laughs> <laughs> well i think there is such a fear from people when it comes to cooking fish of they don't want to undercook fish we talked about this with sherry a little bit when she was on kind of like chicken people are nervous that if they undercook fish that they could get sick and so you know i think that's one of these misconceptions about seafood that which which i find interesting because i'm, I'm not saying that all fish is sushi grade but there's no chicken out there that you're going to find that says sushi grade, but right. you, you can get fish that plenty of people eat raw with no issue, and you're, you're not going to mm-hmm. find that with any other meat, probably. Education. Just education. Yeah. Do you have any other tips on how we can kind of clear up some of these misconceptions just about seafood in general? There's a lot of them. There's a lot of fear-mongering. There's a lot of false information, and there's a lot of misinterpreted information. What can we do to start getting people to understand the true facts behind some of these? I think it's just putting information out there and not not necessarily uh, trying to go anywhere. Because I think it's up to the, the listener, the reader, to make their own decision. I think everybody should educate themselves as much as they can. I understand, though, that people have limited time resources. So I think maybe just providing links or resources or stories that may kind of help share alternative viewpoints and let the reader or listener kind of make their own conclusion. Yeah, that always tends to work for me. If I feel like someone's pushing me to lean in one direction, I get a little offensive and almost not go that route. I want to be given the facts and I want to be able to decide for myself. Yeah, we, we live in a polarized society a bit and there's a lot of information thrown at people. So I don't think you can, you know, you got to let people get there on their own. That's interesting that you use the word polarized. I think that's a really good 
description of Americans. Obviously, we're talking to people from all over the world who have all different cultures, but the three of us, we grew up here in America, and I think just because of the political climate that's been going on since, you know, 1776, <laughs> the whole country is very polarized in the, the way that they think. It's like, I think we feel like we have to pick a side. Whenever there's a, a situation where there's two potential sides of an argument, we need to pick one, which is not the case. And that's something that we're trying to do here is to help show people like, you can make decisions with both. You can you can embrace yeah. both or you can reject both. You're free to make your own choices. But I think we're really quick to pick a side and say, this is my team and the other team's bad and we're going to beat them where it doesn't need to be a competition. And that's a hard message to send. But I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So let's talk about cooking seafood. What's your go-to? If you were, say, you're going to the grocery store, you're doing your meal planning, and you say, all right, twice a week we're eating seafood because that's the recommended amount that Americans should be eating, right? Is that twice two meals a week? Yep. Is what Sherry said. All right, let's go. We're going grocery shopping. What's your go-to if you were to, like, if you were to recommend something or if you were just saying, I need seafood, I'm going to go get what? Well, it depends on when I'm going to cook it. If if it's going to be maybe Friday or the weekend, I, I'll probably look at, at the fresh salmon in the deli case if if it's there because today's friday mm-hmm. so you're talking same day or a day or just, after or, or just when i'm planning to cook it so if you're if you're cooking it that night or maybe the next day you'll look for something fresher yeah and if i'm just kind of stocking up and looking for a quick meal then i'll probably grab shrimp honestly because yeah. it's something you can just keep in the freezer pull out you know you can do a stir fry just throw it in or something it's it's easy to work with. Shrimp is one of those things you can just put in any meal, and it'll just work. When you say shrimp, I say scampi. Just saying. Uh, I love shrimp scampi. Me too. Mm. Yeah. So good. So good. All right. If you So last two more questions. Oh, wait. Going oh. back, I, I, I'll also grab – I usually keep at least some kipper snacks in my – You larder, love though. your kipper snacks. What yeah, good, is a, a kipper snack? snack. What you ex- ever had kipper snacks? No, bring some in. I'll try one or two. Well, I, I don't know. If you I'm like all, salt? Uh, no, they're not that salty. You can get the salted smoked herring sometimes seasonally that they sometimes have available here. Where do you from get Canada, kipper out of out of uh, herring? Is that just am I, am I, don't, I speaking I, two I, different languages? I don't know What's honestly, it? but if you go into uh, pretty much any store, go look where the sardines are. You'll see these uh, thinner but longer kind of cans. Yep, and those are usually kipper snacks. You can get them a bunch of different ways, just like sardines. But traditionally, or the the main variety that you're going to find is it's probably a lightly smoked herring fillets, no bones. You don't have to worry about that. No fins, okay. no we, we've, we've, already, we've already established you don't are like these, dealing with Are these with head on? <laughs> no, no. So no heads, no fins. They're just straight fillets. Yeah, and and Boneless and I fillets. think they're. I personally okay. think they're delicious. But you just eat them just out of the can, like mm. like a pickle. I do sometimes. Yes. So when you say he made them, you just, you just brought them in from the can. Well, I think I had. I think that day I was doing them on toast, so I threw them in the toaster oven. Yeah. No, uh, that that hot fish smell just gets your gets you appetized <laughs> that, in the morning. Is that why your office is in the basement? <laughs> His office is not in the basement. You know, I never thought of the correlation. <laughs> oh man. All right, but let's let's drill down into more salmon though, because like we said, you know salmon more than anyone else. If you're buying salmon, let's not talk about price point and what's on sale. What do you go for? Do you go for Norwegian salmon? Do you go for Chilean salmon? Do you go for wild caught Alaskan salmon? Does it matter? Is there a difference? What's your opinion? Before you answer, do they actually label where it came from? 
or is, I thought it was always just the farmed I, or wild. No, the, the ice picks at the at the retailer should have the country location. Okay, yeah. Good and if you get, I've seen um, like you can get a big, you can get a side of salmon frozen from Market Basket, which is where I do my grocery shopping, and the, and it'll say farm raised Norwegian salmon, or it'll say hmm. Chilean salmon. So a lot of times you'll be able to see where it's from. Oh. Good. Good to know. Do you do you have a preference? You know, I think I do, but it kind of depends on what I'm looking for. If I'm gonna pick up frozen fillets, then I may grab Chilean just because that's what you're gonna find mostly. Okay. In, in available, for fresh fish, I pick a lot of the uh, the East Coast Canada stuff if I can find it. Like I I'll go to Hannaford's here and they usually have that. And it's just it's closer, so I I like it. I also do enjoy the Norwegian fish. Yeah. I some I of the, did. I think the best. <clears throat> fillet of salmon i ever had was from norway and i don't know if that was just how it was prepared or that specific fish was really good but i will say that stood out to me yeah i think they grow them a little bigger there too like their their market oh this was a huge this was like a whole side of salmon i mean it was it was big yeah the larger fillets i've seen available have been norwegian at least on on the east coast here and that might be the way they process them too right they might uh well it'd be well they'd have to have the processing equipment to handle it but it's also what your market size is all these producers they they kind of have a spread that they may grow for and not all fish are going to be the same size anyways in a farm right cool so the three options that you just listed were those a combination of farm and wild options, or were those all farmed op- options? Yeah, I'll I'll grab wild when it's available. I mean, that's that's the one thing that most people don't take into account either. For fresh wild salmon, you're really going to only find it at certain times of the year when when fishing season right, is yeah, going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Any other times of the year, that stuff was probably frozen or yeah, yeah. I don't know the exact supply chain on it, but you're not gonna get a fresh wild supply year round. That's that's kind of, I think, one of the main, that and population declines was one of the main reasons that people started farming salmon. Because it's like when we were a hunter-gatherer people, you really don't, if there's plenty available for, for wild animals that you just got to go out and stick a spear in or throw a net in the water, you're probably not going to go to all of the trouble and the cost of raising animals as a farm. It's only when either your population starts exceeding the availability of your wild source or well it's pretty much when your population and your demand <laughs> exceeds that available source you're going to start farming because you have to and you it's not economically viable until you get to that point right i, I think people sometimes forget that is it's not that farm salmon started happening and then there wasn't enough wild caught salmon to supply the market it was that there was a, a supply issue and farming came about to help resolve that supply issue and it does now i mean what percentage of salmon that you'll get as a consumer is farmed like what's available out there it's got to be a pretty high percentage that's farmed right yeah, you know, I don't have a percentage on the top of my head, but as I said before, Atlantic salmon, you're you're probably not going to find a lot of wild caught available, especially anywhere in the United States. Right. So all of that is farmed. I'd say, you know, the vast majority of that in the in the market would be farmed salmon. Sockeye, that's pretty much all wild, probably. That fishery's still doing well enough, and it's not really, I guess, a, a good farm species for it. There's a lot of different species of salmon, too. Yeah, I There's tr- a ton of different species of salmon. I, uh... Well, I wouldn't guess that either. Yeah, Yeah, no, there's a, there's a, a, salmonids in general is a very, very large group of 
species. Yeah, that's a, that's what gets me sometimes when people try to compare the two. Like they'll have a fillet of of sockeye, and then they'll have a fillet of coho or farm, or yeah, or farmed Atlantic salmon, and they're like, "Look at the difference yeah. between farm to wild." And I'm like, "That's like putting a Mack truck beside like a Geo Metro <laughs> and saying, look at the difference between what Mac produces and Geo produces or, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, completely different species. That's wild. That's farm raised. That's wild. <laughs> uh, did you have something, Justin? No, I just wanted to do that drum. Oh, okay. <laughs> Salute to your joke. Do you have a, can you supply us with a quick recipe that you like to use <laughs> when you are cooking salmon? So, so maybe our listeners can go try, you know, what your recommendation uh, is if you have tonight, a delicious meal. Whatever day it is that uh, you're listening recommend. to this, make this. Easiest one that I use that I can kind of remember most of it would be uh, just brown sugar and cumin. Just like, you know, cumin, the main ingredient in chili powder, a lot of the flavor there, but without the spice. And then just brown sugar on the filet. There's, there's a little bit. You could probably Google it or some other, you know, search for it. But for you the rub rest, it but, in or sprinkle it? Uh, is it, I rub it in. But, Butter uh, too or... No butter? Uh, well, just oil in the pan usually. Usually okay. I use olive oil. I, I just don't and use And do you do it in a fry pan or in a, you bake it? How do you? Uh, frying pan. If it's a big filet, just so I don't overdo it, sometimes I may finish it under the broiler in the oven. But And how long does that roughly take from start to finish? Uh, depends on the size of the filet, but not long at all usually. Less than 30 minutes? Seven to nine oh, def- minutes def- in the def- pan. Yeah, definitely like less than 30 minutes. Because, I mean, seasoning is pretty easy. You're just sprinkling on brown sugar and cumin and... Maybe some other herbs. Now, do you leave skin on when you cook? Oh, I, of course. Yeah, you always leave skin on. Yeah. You get that in those oils, beneficial oils. So you don't all up. It helps. <laughs> it helps seal in the the fats and the moisture when you're cooking too. That's good fat. You you, you don't want to lose it. Do all. you eat the skin? Uh, you, you take it off after you cook it. Sometimes I'll eat a little bit of it. It it, it depends. I don't depends like how skins. well it browned up. Yeah, I can't say I'm a big fan of the salmon skin and anything else that you'd like to get out there that you want to discuss where where is the next your next excursion to a fish farm do you have one planned i don't know if it'll be a fish farm i i might be it's not set in stone yet going down to chile for april for santiago again okay go see some of the cages out there and well not in santiago there's no they don't have cages what do they do in santiago santiago is the capital it's just uh we're maybe putting on an event there for for the company so Port Mont down in that region like once you get down uh, down towards region 10 and 11 would be where most all the farming takes place the only thing up near Santiago would be maybe one or two hatcheries I think mm. it's it's more desert that's wine country there's more vineyards up there I just proved that I don't know my Chilean geography yeah you should go but, look at the map oh I've looked yeah. at the map but it's a beautiful <laughs> not for country. a while not it's since a beautiful I, not country since I, too. Uh, was a specialist they do a lot of muscle farming down there too right yeah they do uh, region 10 mainly but is they it do. some of the same companies like it, do some of the people who own fish farms also do mussels yeah do they integrate them at all Yes, they well, not really integrate. They're owned by the same company, but they have separate divisions. Actually, most of the salmon companies, they tend to have separate divisions for hatcheries, like freshwater stuff to saltwater grow out and everything too. It's just different skill sets and, you know, people tend to specialize, so. Interesting. Anything that people should avoid when they're buying fish or salmon that you would recommend? Can you think I mean, just I just want to make things easier for our listeners if they want to go buy Salmon, give them a little confidence that they know what they're looking for. I can't really, other than freshness, you just want to, sometimes the fish counter people may be not very knowledgeable, but you just want to ask, you know, how long has this been here? You know, where did it come from maybe? Right. And I think if that's a concern, the freshness, then go for 
frozen. I mean, a lot of times that stuff we mentioned, we talked about this with Sherry too. Yeah, just because it's frozen doesn't mean it's, it's yeah. packed so, or in frozen In some cases, fresh. just like vegetables, frozen might be fresher than what they're calling fresh fish because it's flash frozen as soon as it's harvested. Yep. And it's at, at the peak of its freshness when it's frozen. So th- that might be a good choice too if you're a little unsure about buying the fresh thawed fillets that are in the uh, seafood counter. Yeah, and the only with salmon, the only caveat with that be is you're probably not going to find very big fillets, but if you're if you're good working with smaller fillets, right, you find perfect option. Yeah, cool, good stuff. So nothing else you want to talk about? No. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. We're delighted to have you on here. Chris is a good buddy of mine. I'm glad we got him on the show again. We're talking with Chris Bartlett, our salmon expert here at GAA BAP. He's the man. Are you okay with people contacting you if they have any questions about farm salmon or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. How would you like, would you you like to get contacted via email or? Email would be the easiest. Uh, All right. That's pretty much eats most of my life is email. So. Cool. So if you, uh, if If you respond within a day, that's, that's normal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to get in contact with Chris, ask him some questions about some farm salmon or look for any more delicious cooking tips and recipes. Um, we'll have his contact information uh, in the show notes for this show. I will have to, I do have to mention that after this conversation, I will try cooking my own salmon I'm again. Try it, I'm, I'm proud gonna, of you, I'm, Justin. I'm going to, I'm going to make the leap and forget my childhood nightmare of that bone and yep. just don't overcook move forward. it. Don't overcook me. Yeah. Maybe. yeah that, that's the, I think that's probably the easiest mistake to make. Just don't overcook Maybe it. we'll all get together and have Chris cook us salmon. Yeah, you can do it in the office. You're known for it's, it's uh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I need a stove. <laughs> He's not the only one. When you work in the seafood industry, you'd be surprised how many people cook seafood in the office. Everybody remembers me, though. That's true. That's true. People don't forget. Even if it wasn't me, they remember me. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Listeners, thank you for being members and for tuning in to the Aquademia podcast. Remember to rate and review and subscribe to us on all of the platforms. Podcast listening platforms. Yeah, whatever platform you listen to your podcast on, make sure you subscribe and tell your friends. I'm your host, John O'Loughlin. I'm the co-host, Justin Grant. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Have a great day. Thanks, guys.